just hold it. Okay. Thanks. All right. Let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for joining us um, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And we are blessed. And as I woke up this morning, I was considering, um, as a pastor, I get anxious for Easter. Actually, I've been anxious all week long, and then Good Friday, and then you feel pretty low, and then you come back up, and then you realize Saturday, no one believed in Christ during that time, and you kind of go back. But I woke up this morning thinking about if this, as a believer, if this doesn't bring you such joy, I don't know what will. And this morning, my hope is that I talk about hope. And as we consider these things, I know many of you and some of you I've haven't seen in a long while and some of you I probably haven't met and I know some of you are believers in Christ and I don't know about all of you but um, but just considering the hope for those of you who are believers in Christ this should be so such a joyous time even um, regardless of what the year has looked it brings us so much joy and as I was mentioning as a pastor just considering just thinking about what is it that the Lord wants me to say? And, and in that, do I have to say anything new that hasn't been said? Well, he wants me to speak about his resurrection. And will it be new? I don't know. But that's, that's not the point. And sometimes I think in, in our hope that when Christ will do something new in our lives, first he changes our life. And that from that newness, that resurrection in our life will take place. So this morning, as you consider just the hope that we have in Christ, I invite you uh, the turn to Matthew 28, and if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. If you're not able to, that's okay too. Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell the, uh, his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped him, his feet worshiped him then jesus said to them don't be afraid go tell my brothers to leave for galilee and they will see me there let's pray god in heaven thank you again for this opportunity to come before you and and to remember that this day over two thousand years ago you you rose from the dead for our life lord on friday we were down and as we remembered our sin, our sin that placed you on the cross and that you died and that you were buried. And yet on the third day today, we remember your resurrection. 
And it's not just the re- your resurrection that we remember, but the hope and the resurrection that we will have because of you, because of your grace and your mercy, because of your love for us. So Lord, as, as we sit here and we, we praise you now, we went from music and fellowship and then now into worshiping you through your word. We just pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. We thank you for your, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, prepare our hearts. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we will just bless you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Although the resurrection of Jesus Christ is grand, and it is grand, it is the greatest event that happened ever. And although we take this one day to recognize Christ's resurrection, those of us who are believers in Christ are living in the resurrection. And I just imagine what it would have been like waiting for Jesus to come, the Messiah to come. I'm so thankful that I live in a time where not only has Christ defeated death but we've had we have so many years after and so many believers that have followed that has been an inspiration to help point back to christ and the fact that he is alive and well even after he was put to death and buried and now is in the resurrection is amazing the eyewitness accounts and the response to the way that everything unfold was so ordinary so basic if you will It's ordinary because it's exactly what happened. And it's one of the great things that I love about the Bible. And I mention this quite often. The Bible doesn't leave out the things you would leave out if you were writing a memoir about how great you are. The Bible includes the warts and all. And that's how we know it's a true story. The ordinary events, even on this grand, the greatest event ever. There is no need to over-exaggerate. There's no need to edit the events that happen. There's no need to make the cast, the supporting cast, any better than they were. And I'm not talking about just the, the resurrection itself. Again, that was grand. I'm talking about how everyone responded. Every morning, every week leading up to Easter, as I had mentioned, I, all of the emotions, and you probably experienced that too, all of the emotions, I, I can't get beyond the fact that no one believed. Not a single person believed until he came back. Now, I was considering this. If I was to write a novel, or if I was to make a play, I would over-dramatize it. I, especially if I, if I was the author, I, I, I would have the tendency and the desire just to make me... just. Maybe just a little bit better than at least everybody else. I mean, everyone didn't believe, but I believe just a little. Or we even see this throughout history and literature. We see these stories, these grand stories of things and, and of different events and fiction, nonfiction. And typically a novel or a series, the bad guy is defeated. Everyone wins. Everyone believes in the cause. And there's this great victory. Well, maybe not always, but mostly that's what happens. This, of course, is expectation. But at the very least, one thing that I, that I notice in all of the stories that I love to read and all of the tales that I, I love to hear is that the supporting cast supports the good guy, the hero, to the very end. 
and they ride off into the sunset. And again, every year as I consider Easter, I go over the story of Christ in His final week, and I read the gospel accounts from the moment He rides in, Christ rides in, in His triumphal victory lap almost, if you will, on His donkey. I'm always moved by the fact that the Bible, again, does not cover up or hide the fact that Jesus' disciples were nowhere to be found. And if you were with us at our Good Friday service, we discussed in great length the time that Christ spent in Gethsemane praying and how Gethsemane means, in Hebrew the translation is Gethsemai, which is the oil press and how Christ was pressed three times, crushed three times. And that the, the disciples that he brought with him to pray with him fell asleep three times. In Jesus' greatest time of need, his friend slept. And then his other friend that walked with him for three and a half years betrayed him. The day he died, they hid. My hope this morning is as we look at this hope, that we find that it's true. And we'll take a moment, in just a moment, we'll even take a look at the churches, that one of the churches that Paul the Apostle started after the resurrection in Corinth had great disbelief in the resurrection. They, they, they asked Paul, we believe in Jesus, but did he, did he really come back from the dead, or is that a fairy tale? But I'm getting a little far, too far ahead. So this morning, I want to talk about the hope, and the hope specifically in the resurrection and specifically, what I, I subtitled this last night, I was considering the hope we have despite ourselves. And the hope that we have in Christ and His resurrection, even if all of the mess that we read about and everything that we face every day, and yet there's hope. So three things this morning I'd just like to cover. The hope despite the early disbelief. The hope in the early eyewitnesses and a hope in our own testimony. The hope in, despite the early disbelief, the hope in the early eyewitnesses, and the hope in our own testimony. So to begin, we read from Matthew 28, verse 1. Let's just look at that first verse real quick. And this is from Matthew, a, tech, a tax collector, one of the early disciples to follow Christ. His opening line on the greatest day of history he writes, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. The greatest day, he writes out, two ladies go out to visit the tomb, not in eager expectation as Christ is going to rise, he's, he's going to be there. They went to go prepare the body. Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about the greatest day of your life, whenever you came to Christ or whatever you consider your greatest, your top three moments, when you got married, when you had children, whenever you finally graduated, whatever it was, think about it. Think about what your opening line would be. And here's Matthew, his opening line. Essentially, two ladies went to go visit the dead Jesus. The greatest day in history began with Jesus rising from the grave, and no one believed it happened. Early in church history, there's a Greek philosopher named Celesus who was an opponent to the early church in Christianity. 
And I think it appears that most of the arguments that people make against Christianity, against Jesus, comes from his teachings. And and his major attack, his major attack about the resurrection of Jesus is that the early Christians didn't believe. To which the early church would argue that may be true, but if Christ did not rise on that day, show us the body. And even if that wasn't enough, look at John, another apostle, the beloved in John 20. This is his opening line to the greatest day that ever happened in the history. The whole reason we're here to celebrate Christ's resurrection, his opening line, perhaps his closest friend to Jesus, he writes in his opening line, early on Sunday morning while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Opening line, first two lines. Someone's taken his body and we can't find him. One more. Luke, the physician, the intellect, the one who wrote to uh, the thinkers, the educated. He writes in Luke 24, But er, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And go on. The question is, is you do not bring spices for someone you expect to be alive. See, Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry telling all of his disciples, all of the followers, that he was going to die and that he would raise again on the third day. Over and over and over again. Even before Christ was here on earth, All of the Jewish disciples of the Torah, the Old Testament, was pointing and waiting for a Savior. They would have read over and over again, waiting for this Messiah to come, and how He would rise on the third day, and how He would talk among them, and and that He would perform great miracles, that the blind would see, the lame would leap, and He would rise again. Yet no one believed on the greatest day. And Jesus told them when they were in Philippi, and he told them when they were in Galilee. They told him when they were on the road traveling to Jerusalem. A few weeks back at Renew, we were talking and discussing about how how now we move at such a high rate speed. Some people predict that we move over 200 miles per hour because of the internet. At this time of Jesus, their top speed was three miles per hour. The only time Christ ever rode on something was whenever He rode in Jerusalem outside of the boat. Everywhere else He walked. And while they walked, lots of conversations. Even in John's Gospel, He says, and if everything was written down, there would not be a large enough book to contain all of these. And... Despite this disbelief, there was still hope. Because our hope is not in how everybody responded initially. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And if the disciples had believed, there would have been a, this great welcome party in the tomb. I know I say this every Easter, but I just imagine if, 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 if they believed, they would have thrown a party. 
they would have eagerly anticipated. And the reason we know this is because the Jewish tradition is to celebrate Passover. The Passover is this great feast of celebration that long ago, when God saved the Israelites out from the Egyptian hand and saved them, and the angel of death passed over, if they put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, they celebrated this over and over and over again, every year celebrating the Passover that they were spared. And it was this great feast had the disciples recognized truly at that time At the very least, they would have had this great celebration in their homes. But no, let's modernize it a little bit. Think about if if you're throwing a party. The closest, and it's not the same, but the closest that I can imagine is I, I really enjoy watching the videos, I think just for a good cry, but I enjoy watching the videos of the servicemen and women coming home after long deployment. It gets me every time. And the signs and the kids. And I even think about the, the, the one or two-year-olds that are holding the sign that haven't ever seen their daddy coming home. That's a celebration. I haven't seen him in a long time. And this is only three days. Think about it. Imagine it if they had believed. I would imagine this countdown. Ten, nine, eight. All right, let's hide. Let's, let's surprise Jesus. I don't know how he's going to come out from this rock isn't that what we do? We put things on our calendar. We have a countdown on our phone. We, we ring in the new year. Some of you are so fun that you have a birthday and you call it your birthday month. Or, if you're like any of my children, right after their birthday party, they start planning for the next one. Don't pretend you don't. But imagine they're counting six, five, four. He's coming. He's coming. I think he's coming when the sun comes up. Let's get there early. Quick, get your cameras on. Let's go live, Instagram live or whatever. Yet, despite that, no one was there. And yet, despite the fact there was disbelief early on, Christ still came back from the dead. See, the great thing about our Lord and Savior is that he does all the heavy lifting. Even when we throw up our hands and say, ah, this isn't for me. He's, he continues to pursue you. I mean, Onesius is another guy. He came up with the swoon theory. A swoon saying, no, Christ didn't die. He just passed out. And then the coolness from the tomb revived him. And, and, and somehow he crawled out of a little crack and he's in India. But the Roman soldiers were professional And the executioners were professional. They knew when someone was dead. And yet, Christ told them over and over and over again. And yet, despite the lack of disbelief, here is Christ. And His grace and His mercy. And regardless of everything else, Christ rose again. So despite the early disbelief, we have hope because our hope is in Christ. And not the early response. But they do respond. The second is the hope and the eyewitness. The early eyewitnesses. Christ showed himself. Now even before we go to to scripture. Listen to this writing from Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian of the first century. Who was not a Christian by all accounts. And from whom much of his writings have been greatly preserved. It's probably the second most preserved document 
behind the Bible and behind the Odyssey, if you're keeping track. The old, the old records of the Bible, there is 35 times more than any records of Odysseus and of Josephus. But listen to Josephus. And this is what he writes in his book, Antiquities, chapter 18, line 63, if you ever want to look it up. And this is what he writes. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship after. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Subquote. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. He would later write, more or less on his deathbed, something about Christians saying, those pesky Christians are never going to die. And if that's not enough, then Paul, Paul in his, in his own response, he started this church in Corinth and, there was, and, and the church was growing and it was doing well and he left to go on his other missionary journeys and then he gets these letters and, and the letters appear to be, are you sure the resurrection? We're not. Because some people had said that it wasn't true. So... Paul and his, I just only imagine what he would say. Okay, let's go over this again. Let's go to the basics. And this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15. You can follow along if you'd like. I'm going to start at verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 15. Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter. And then he was seen by the twelve. Let me stop there before I keep reading. So anytime there was an eyewitness account of anything that took place, it would have been reported to the Romans for two reasons. One, the Romans wanted to know everything that was happening. They would pay very good money just to keep track of things. The second thing is, is anytime there was an eyewitness of anything, you had to have at least three witnesses, and they could only be male. So Paul, being an educated man, is now writing out this very linear, it's a legal document actually, if you, let me just nerd out here real quick. 1 Corinthians is considered a legal document in the way that he wrote it. So now he's writing almost my first witness, Peter. The next witnesses is the twelve. Let's continue on verse 6. And if that's not enough, after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. It's interesting, in verse 7 he says, And then he was seen by James, James's brother. And I always go back to this, because I have a brother. What would it take for me to believe 
that my brother was the Messiah, I would have to see him. I would ask him all of the questions. Hey, when we were five, what happened when... I mean, I'd grill him. He's my brother. I've seen him in action. Now, granted, Jesus is without sin. But what would it take? And then furthermore, what would it take if you saw the risen king alive and well? Who could convince you otherwise that what you saw wasn't real? Who could convince you? People don't just die for something they think they believe in, especially these Jewish men who were so proud. They would only die for what they knew, for what they've seen. That's why later on, or before this, Christ would say, Blessed are those who see, but blessed more greater are those who believe without seeing. And then Paul closes out, and he says, And if that's not enough, I am your key witness. I am your key witness. I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. The man whose life mission early on was to destroy Christians has had an encounter. So then there's the hope of the eyewitness. And if you you look through and, and you go back to record, historical records, you will see that Out of the 500, when Paul writes that there was 500 that were seen behind uh, after uh, his followers, there was about 482 that were still alive that has given account. So the hope of the eyewitness. And finally, the hope. The hope in our own testimony. The hope, first, despite the fact that no one believed until they saw him. I still appreciate what Thomas said. Thomas was always the rational one. I won't believe until I touch his hand, see his hands and touch his wound on the side. Even before that, whenever Jesus says, we are going to ride in whenever he was going to take Lazarus back from the dead. And Thomas says, great, so we're going to go off and die? Let's do it. And then the hope of his eyewitness. And now the hope of our own testimony. I'd like to start with Paul's testimony to get an idea of it, and then we'll close off from there. Later on in that same 1 Corinthians 15. Side note, because everyone wants homework on Easter, right? Side note, here's your homework. When you're enjoying your meal, and you're eating your pie, or your third slice or fifth slice of pie, and when you're sitting around the table, I invite you to read 1 Corinthians 15, all, all, all 58 verses of it. Or 59, excuse me, all of it. And when you get to verse 51 and 58, these are the words that you'll read. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, Paul says. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into mortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. In verse 57, but thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. The resurrection really answers the big question, I think, in our hope and in our own testimony. And that really big question that all of us have asked, or at least have been asked recently, is why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer, I think, is the only good person to ever walk on the earth was punished and whipped and died for a crime and for the sins that he did not commit. So why do bad things happen to good people? It's so that all the other people may be saved through his blood. And yet, he rose again. The promise of Christ is not a replacement or a makeup for what we are missing or lost. It is the best that we've ever had. And these miracles are not just for the future. Miracles are for now. And faith is the combination of the hope for the future and in the now. And that's what the resurrection is all about. And in your personal testimony, for those of you who are believers, you were once dead in your sins and now you are alive. If we had a long line, I would imagine we could be here for days sharing the new person that we are in Christ. Your life has changed. I know mine's has. And as a pastor, I get the great privilege of seeing people who do not believe come to believe in their life that's changed. Again, first I see in my own life. And the more and more that I see the transformation in my own life, the more and more I see how far I have to go. And yet, in those doubts and in those sins and in those struggle, I see the transformation work by the Holy Spirit. And then again, in your own life, if I have the great privilege of seeing you and your walk with the Lord, it's, it's a blessing to see. But the good news is it's not that your belief is without doubts or questions. It should be about the pursuit of truth. When Paul writes in verse 58, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. On first read-through in our English translation, it almost sounds like, Dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable and have no doubt. Always work enthusiastically, always 110%, for you know nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. But actually... The translation, be strong and immovable, means exactly that. In your struggle, and in your fight, and in your pursuit, in your doubt, don't give up the fight of looking for the truth. So, in my Dallas translation, let me read verse 58 to you. So, dear brothers and sisters, even in your doubt, even in your sin, Be strong and courageous because He is. 
Don't give up on your pursuit of truth. And Christ died for your, your doubts as well. And always work enthusiastically. And when you don't, the Lord will take care of that. So if you're missing hope this morning, and if you're a believer or not, or if you have so many questions, remember that resurrection started with no one believing. And yet God revealed himself, his son. So if you're missing the hope, go back to the very basics, the ABCs. The A to admit, dear God, I am a sinner. And I'm sorry. And B, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again from the dead. And C, confess, I confess my need for a Savior in Jesus. So this hope of this resurrection that we have is squarely based on who Christ is and what he did for us. So as we consider this, as we sing a couple more songs and we close out and we enjoy our time with our family and our friends and whatever it is that you will do this afternoon, just remember that Christ died for that doubt too. Christ died for your sins and that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time that we've had in your word and from the Gospels and from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Lord. and As he said, it is a wonderful secret. And that we will not all die, but we will be transformed. So Lord, I especially pray for anyone who is struggling with doubt or has questions. I just pray that you will just continue to encourage them not to give up on their doubt. That you're a big enough God that you can handle that. Even their anger, even their upsetness, Lord. But we know that your heart truly is for each and every one to come to you and know that your Son is Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you that we live in a time where we can look back through history and see all of the great men and women who did various things to make sure the world would know that this day really happened. So Lord, I also pray for those who are followers of you, that you will just continue to encourage us, that you will continue to help us be immovable in our faith. Will you help us quickly respond uh, and ask for forgiveness when we fall short of that, Lord? Lord, we're just so thankful to be in this place. We're thankful for the sun. We're thankful for the change in the weather that we could be out here, Lord. What a, what a blessing it is. But mostly we're thankful for your son that died for our sins. So Lord, we just thank you and we bless you. And we know that everything that we give to you is, falls short of what you deserve, but thank you for taking it and using it for your glory. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.